Good morning. We're getting healthier. Yay. There's more than three people here today. If you have a Bible, open it to Psalm 25. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will be glad to give you one, get you one. We, you can also keep it if you want. <clears throat> the Athanasius Creed is, I think, the most glorious creed outside of the Bible that you will find. I think it teaches us everything of first importance. Um, I know that all of us have a longing desire to know more um, about how to even think about the triune God, the Trinity, and to what words do we use and what do the words mean. Um, I, I think if you spend a lot of time in the Athanasius Creed that you will, you will grow. Um, you will, you, your heart will, will be enlarged and your mind will, will too. And I remember when I first read it, I was like, man, that's awesome. That's all I know. That's all. It's like, that is so awesome. What does it mean? I have no idea, but that is awesome. <laughs> but the longer you read it <clears throat> and the longer you find resources to help you understand it, the more glorious, um, it becomes. So Psalm 25, we're going to go probably all the way to, not today, obviously, but I'll probably teach, I've been teaching batches of 12, and so I'll probably stick to that. Um, this is my favorite thing to do is to preach the Psalms, and I mean that wholeheartedly. Um, I, could, I could teach the Psalms for the rest of my life and be more than happy. So, Psalm 25. Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember me, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, for they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion in keeping with your faithful love. Remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, Forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. Who is this person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, for he reveals his covenant to them. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he will pull my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase. Bring me out of my sufferings. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies. They are numerous and they hate me violently. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and what is right watch over me, for I wait for you. God, redeem Israel from all its distresses. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 25. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the opportunity that we have, the privilege to gather together and to sing your word and to read your word and to hear your word proclaimed, um, 
to pray your word and to see your word at the table, Lord. Thank you for the ordinary means of grace. Thank you for your people. Lord, we get to pray confidently your will. We get to pray, Lord, that your will would be done here today in your people, that we would be good soil. We are good soil. That we would have eyes to see. We have eyes to see. That we would have ears to hear. We have ears to hear because you've given us all those things and much more. So, Lord, I pray that as we hear your word, we would respond with repentance and faith and rest and trust, encouragement, conviction. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 25. Whew, there's a lot here. Uh, I titled this psalm, The Never-Changing, Everlasting Mercy and Love of God. And that's what I'm going to primarily focus on because I believe that that's what primarily David focuses on. He chooses to focus on, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but it's okay, the character of God rather than his situation. Now, there's this thing that we can be like, get your eyes off of your temporal life and get them on to eternal life. I've said that a thousand times from the pulpit. I'll say it a thousand times more. What that doesn't mean is that you turn a, turn a blind eye, though, to your circumstances. That doesn't mean you become indifferent to life's circumstances. You, and actually, you can't actually do that. Life is staring you right in the face. But we can choose to have our primary focus in eternal things. We can choose in light of our sufferings and our sin and our enemies. We can choose to have our primary focus not on those things, but actually on who who God is and what he does. And ultimately, this psalm shows us and teaches us how to pray, teaches us how to come to the throne of grace. And we desperately need it. It shows us words to use. It shows us how to approach God. David shows us um, that I, I believe at the foundation of all of our thought and thinking and prayer life and Christian living and even study of Scripture and interpretation of Scripture is what, in light of everything, who is God? When we think about who God is, what do we think? Do we even think about who God is? Is God just stronger, the, the strongest created being? Is God just a, a higher version of ourselves? Is God basically just one of the Avengers? Is he, is he some, um, something that we have created in our own image? Or is he what the scriptures declare? And what do the scriptures declare about the character of God, the attributes of God? What is theology proper? It is the most important thing. The most important, I'm not the first to say this. If, any, if I ever say anything original, it's probably dumb and wrong. So if I say anything smart and clever, I never came up with it. It's not my own. The most important thing to think about in your whole life, your whole life, and how you will see the world, how you will see people, how you will see your circumstances, and how you will even understand Scripture, is what do you think of when you think of God? Who God is, again, the doctrine of God, theology proper, is the most important thing to think about, even before we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the Son of God. Who's that? And David, over and over and over and over again in these Psalms, it is clear one thing is clear. He lives in reality. He knows life is hard. He knows his life is hard, all right? But he knows who God is. And he can, he can just, by following his example, he can just teach us how to have this healthy balance of living as pilgrims, just plodding through life, putting one foot in front of the other, and yet trusting and relying on God. 
and I'll probably say this later on only because I wrote it down in my closing, but the, the, the hardest, the most difficult thing about, under, about scriptures and studying the scriptures and hearing sermons, reading books about sermons and reading books about Christianity and reading books about like commentaries and reading systematic theology and whatever you're reading when it comes to the Christian faith is ultimately not going to be the hardest thing is not understanding the scriptures. Now, there are certainly parts, parts that are hard to understand and harder and some that are easier than others. But the hardest thing about the scriptures is believing them in light of just kind of like what goes on in our own life, in light of our circumstances, in, line of our, in light of our own stinking thinking, um, in light of uh, the, the temporal stuff, in light of our worries and doubts and fears, the most difficult thing about the Psalms, and I would say all of Scripture and all of things that are related to Scripture, is not actually what does this mean, but but Lord, help me to help me to believe help me to believe that is this is this really true? And David helps us to see a man that at the end of the day, at the end of a Psalm, is always just clinging to who God is and what God does, what God has done, what God will do. And if we just walk out of here today thinking like David today, like putting our circumstances in, into perspective, again, this, we're, we're not talking about being indifferent. We're not talking about we always are just like, praise the Lord, hallelujah. We're, we're talking about, like, it's suffer, we, but we don't suffer without hope, as Paul says. And our hope is in the triune God. And so that's what we're going to look at today. He recalls his problems, all right? This is what David does in almost every psalm. He recalls his problems. He brings them to his own mind, and he brings them to the mind of the Lord, all right? But then he remembers God's character, and then it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. The outline of most of the Psalms is so simple. David has a problem. David prays about the problem. David remembers God. David remembers his problems now in light of God. David has a problem. David remembers God over and over and over again. I mean, there is no, if there is like some special sauce and special equation on how to pray and how to think about your life compared to who God is and what he's done and your life compared to eternal life, and it, it would be that simple. Your issues, bring them to God, remember God. Your issues, bring them to God, remember God. And David does that for us today. And so quite simply, the, the first, where this is just like, save me from my enemies, then he remembers God, and then he, then he says, save me from my enemies and forgive my sin. Now, he doesn't necessarily do this, but you can almost see and guarantee that in light of David's enemies and his circumstances, the bigger problem in light of all of that is always David's sin. It's always forgiveness. I mean, he can't even talk about in this psalm about his enemies without somehow he ends up remembering like it's his, his bigger problem is not actually his enemies. His biggest problem is his sin. And so here we go. Save me from my enemies, the first five verses, all right? Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause, they will be disgraced. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. So save me from my enemies. 
He always has enemies. All of us have enemies. But most of us are never going to have the type of enemies David had. Yet David always has enemies, always had enemies knocking at his front door. But notice what he says. He says, he says I appeal, I trust, I wait. But then he thinks about God, and it's you teach, you guide, you save. Save me from my enemies because you are the God of my salvation. David is really not doing anything here, but appealing and trusting and waiting. And he already is showing us what that even looks like. It, I mean, he can't even in the first five verses just, because this outline's not perfect. And the, the outline of the psalm is not, there is no perfect outline anyway, but whatever. He, even here, he's already remembering who God is and what God does. Because when he remembers what God does, he's remembering who God is. Why does God do this? Why can he even come to God? Why does he appeal to God? Because he knows who God is. Why does he trust in God? Because he knows he can trust in God. He knows God is trustworthy. Why does he wait on God? Because he knows nothing happens without the providence, without the sovereign care of the Lord. Why does he declare that God is the God of salvation? Because he knows God is the God of salvation. If he's going to be saved from his enemies, it's going to come from God. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. How does he know that? Well, we'll get into that in a second. But even these prayers are, are, are founded upon the character of God, the attributes of God. Who is God? There is no reason to even do what David does here unless he has a solid rock foundation of who he's talking to when he thinks of praying and talking to God. You are the God of my salvation. I mean, when we just think about that line alone, like we always just simply think about sins, which is fine, but we can broaden the God of our salvation. He's going to save us from all things. Sin, yes. Satan, yes. The world, yes. The devil, yes. Ourselves, yes. Our enemies, yes. He's the God of all of salvation, full salvation. And so even when we are looking around our own lives, and we know we have enemies, some, we have there's probably we, some of us, if all of us, we might have people that are our enemies. We might know who they are. We may not know who they are. There, do you, there's probably someone talking behind your back on a regular basis. You have Satan as your enemy. Sin is your enemy. The world is your enemy. And this little five verses just right here shows us like the confidence we can have when we come before God. Because God is our Father, because God is the God of salvation. But notice, God is the God of my salvation. God is the God of your salvation. You, you personally. And we can trust him. But David, as he prays, he goes right into God's character. Verse 6, remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love. For they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness. David clearly has, okay, clearly has the word of the Lord from Exodus 34 on his mind. And I, you probably all know what it says, but here it is. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. 
maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. If you look at just even these few verses right here, six through seven, you just see it throughout. This isn't, David's not, David's not throwing stuff at a wall and jello at a wall and hoping it sticks. No, he, he is praying on a sure foundation. He is praying based on a right thinking of who God is and what God does. And when he does that, he says, remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, a never changing eternal love and mercy. I mean, this is why some of these dry doctrines that can be dry to us at first, when we think about the doctrine of God, eternality can kind of seem dry. What is that? God is never changing. He's immutable. That's, what is that? That means God never changes. Well, okay, cool. It's like, no, you know how cool it is and important it is that God is eternal and that he never changes? All you have to do is think about his mercy and his love for you. And know that as his child, what, no matter what the circumstances are telling you, no matter what the circumstances are yelling at you, no matter what your enemies are yelling at you, no matter what your own heart is yelling at you, it, it, that's all fickle and all changing. God doesn't change. And so we actually can't trust the voice of all the created order that is always changing. One minute they love you, the next minute they hate you. One minute it's out of boy, the next minute they're out of your life. You're ghosted. One minute you're doing you, you're doing great. You're telling yourself good things, and the next minute you're not. One minute you're super high, the next minute you're super low. Who do you trust? You can trust the eternal, the, the never-changing God, who then everything about him is eternal and never-changing and infinite and all-powerful. God is love. You know, God, God is, when we think about the simplicity of God, God does not have love. God is love. God does not have compassion. God does not have mercy. God is mercy. And when we think about that, and then the fact that he is never changing, we see these beautiful doctrines of the doctrine of God just come in and lift us up and give us wings in the middle of the most, most terrifying and disturbing times of our life. We get to trust the Lord. He says, remember, he tells the Lord, remember your perfections. Of course, the Lord doesn't forget. Asking the Lord to remember is basically, it's, it's for your own remembrance. He says, remember your perfections. Remember who you are. Don't, though, look at this. Don't remember my sins. Do not remember my sins. Lord, remember me. That's the flow of this prayer. So he has enemies, and he prays about that. But then he starts thinking about the character of God. And here's the cool thing and the tricky thing and the awesome thing about remembering the character of God. When you, you, just, when you just have diarrhea of the mouth in your prayer, and you're just like, Lord, this is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong, heal that, fix that, fix that, do this, do that. Cool, do that. Be specific. David's specific. Be specific. But then when you slow down and start to remember who God is and who the God is you're praying to, that he is immutable, that he is eternal, that he is full of compassion, that he is full of love, then what you start to do then, this just happens organically, supernaturally, naturally. It just happens because we're the people of God. We start to remember our own character. We start to remember the most important thing actually is, and it doesn't mean it's not important. You can have two things that are important. One thing be more important. It doesn't make the other thing not important, right? 
Your circumstances and your trials and your afflictions are important. But the most important thing when we think about who God is is who we are, who we're not. We're not full of everlasting love and mercy and grace. We're not full of compassion. We are fickle. We're not never changing. We're, we're fallen. And so when David thinks about his enemies in that situation, whatever that situation is, with David, it's always bad. The, situ the, the enemies, the situation he is, is always an overthrow. People are always after him. They're not just gossiping about him, which they clearly are from all the other Psalms. They're wanting to take his life. And yet when he thinks about that and then starts thinking about God, he can't help but to realize, do not remember my sins. And that is so important for us to grasp. Lord, I have this crazy stuff going on. Lord, remember who you are. Remember your, your everlasting and your never-changing love and compassion. Lord, please, I beg you. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Protect me from them, 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 them. Save me from them, 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 them. And then you think about God. And it's like, oh, Lord, protect me from myself. Save me from myself. Save me from my, protect me from their, their evil doings and, and, and their schemings and their sin. Lord, Lord. And then you start remembering the Lord. It's like, oh, Lord, Lord, forgive me. Protect me from my own evil doings. Protect me from my schemings. Forgive me for my schemings. Forgive me for my sins. Thinking about God's character will always reveal our own character. And it puts things into perspective. All right? But then David goes right back to remembering the things that he needs saved from. And so it's a good exercise to do. Pray. Be specific. But remember God. Remember who God is. And then just go right back to praying. And so David says, the Lord is good and upright, still on the doctrine of God. He shows sinners the way, things that he has already prayed for. He's already prayed in verse 4, make your ways known to me. Teach me your path. Guide me in truth and teach me. And he's, then he says, the Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he knows he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches them his way. See, he's prayed this, but now he's reminding himself that the, this is what the Lord does. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth. He's not left this, this, the Lord is compassionate, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving inequity, rebellion, and sin. I imagine this verse alone might have been the most dearest, precious verse to all the saints at this time. This is what they couldn't believe. This is what they they had trouble believing. This is what, when they believed it, it brought so much comfort. This is what David, when he remembers these words to Moses, God's words to Moses, this is what gets him to then to just pray what he's praying right here. And it's all about faithfulness and faithful love and compassion and faithful love that has existed from antiquity, from everlasting. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. So I got enemies. Lord, help, protect me. I don't want to be disgraced. He later will say, do not let me be put to shame. It is clear that this is a big concern of his. But it's, it's fascinating how this other thread creeps in when he starts thinking about actually who God is 
And the threat is who he is and his sin. And all of a sudden, he shifts kind of gears to where it's, Lord, don't remember my sin. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. Guys, this is, this is King David. And we know some sins that he did that were immense. But our sins are immense. And when you get the people of God to just admit this, like, man, it just levels the playing field. It, it, we, we get out of the judgy, judgy stuff. Now, again, we're not, I, I don't know, I always have to say this, Coffee. We, we, we don't have sin parties where we're like, oh, I've sinned more than you this week, or we don't, we don't glorify sin, right? But when we can just, every week, gather together, which is why we do it, when we confess our sin together, we're doing that. So one of the benefits of doing that, you know, the main benefit is just, you know, it's its own reward coming to God and confessing sin and then receiving forgiveness. But you just get a look to the person to the left and to the right at church, and they're, they're, they're admitting their own sin together. And it, what it does is it just it unites people to one another. Story after story. Maybe you had your own experience of just, and probably all of us had, of just being around the people of God but not feeling like you even belong. Feeling like an outsider. And I'm not, I'm not meaning because you're weird, because people do that. People get with the people of God and they stand afar and then they feel like they don't belong and they never even tried to belong, right? And my heart breaks for those people. But I'm talking about like you have actually been around the people of God and they weren't loving, they weren't kind, they didn't look you in the eye, they didn't say hello. You felt like an outsider. Or, or maybe you thought maybe somebody looked at you for the way you dressed. Who cares about the way you dress? Look at this, folks socks on with sandals who cares about any of that stuff but when we come together and say lord my sin is immense and it's and it's not just you saying it it's all the person next to you just said the same thing then it's like i don't who cares about all this stuff all of us at the end of the day our sin is immense at the end of our day none of us in this room this week loved god with all their heart soul and strength None, no one did. No one loved their neighbor as themselves, not, not in the way we were supposed to. And when we can admit that together, then we can really start doing life together and praying for one another and encouraging one another. And so David's sin is immense. And although his enemies are immense, it's as if David realizes the most immense thing going on in his life is not who's encamped around him, but it's who's encamped in his own heart, himself. Who is this person that fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. This is a healthy fear. Usually this fear him is undone by, by words that don't actually mean fear. I mean, it means like trust, or it means, it does certainly mean reverence, but I mean, it's the Lord. We should have a healthy fear of the Lord. He is God Almighty. And for those who fear him, he reveals himself to them, and he reveals his covenant to them. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he will pull my feet out of the net. What is the net? The net is certainly the net, the trap that his enemies have for him, but the net and the trap is his own sin. And he knows whether it is out there or it is in here 
that he's going to put his eyes on the Lord because he knows that the Lord is the only one that's going to pull him out of that net because he knows that his God, his Lord, is the God of his salvation. And so he puts his full confidence in the Lord. And so then he goes right back, though, in verses 16 to now. Again, it's as if, <laughs> I want to be careful, it's, it's as if you just get a running start and you just plow into your prayer life. You do it. You get to come boldly to the, th but it's as if he slows down and remembers God. Then he starts, whoa, 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 remembering his own sin. And then it's almost like, okay, now I'm going to go back and, and, and talk to the Lord in light of who he is and in light of who I am. Instead of just, I got enemies, get them, Lord. It's, it's, okay, here's who you are, slow down. Yep, I got enemies, but here's what's going on in my own life. Oh, Lord, help. Now let's, let's kind of like start over, all right? And when he kind of starts over, turn to me and be gracious to me. I mean, guys, this is so, this is heartbreaking. His sin is immense. He doesn't want the Lord to remember the sins of his youth. He has enemies that are wanting to undo him, to murder him. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. Man, this is how we get to be this honest with the Lord. We, we get to say, Lord, I am alone and I am afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase. Bring me out of my sufferings. Consider my affliction and trouble, and here we go again, and forgive all my sins. So you had the enemies, then you have God, and then in light of God's character, David's character is revealed, and so now you have enemies, God, then David's sin, and now you have David kind of sandwiching it all together. Be gracious, gracious to me, Lord. I am alone and afflicted. My distresses and my heart increase. Bring me out of my sufferings. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. Now, consider my enemies. They are numerous and they hate me violently. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me put, be put to shame. So you have the bookends. Do not let me be disgraced in verse 2 and in verse 20. Do not let me be put to shame. For I... For I take refuge in you. May integrity and what is right watch over me, for I wait on you. And so the theme is clear. David, he just appeals and trusts and waits. And then he relies and waits on the Lord to do all that only the Lord can do, which is ultimately save him from his enemies and save him from his sins. And so... The end, though, you're like, oh, it's over. That's, this is, no, this is what's fascinating. This is my favorite part, is you're, you're in your prayer closet. You're all alone, and you're crying out to God, and you run through it. You, you think about your circumstances, and who's your enemy? It doesn't even have to be a person. Who's after you? Maybe, it, and then you remember God, and then your heart's enlarged, and then you start to get clear thinking, and then you start to remember God. You start to remember who you are, but then you remember that God forgives who you are, and then you remember the people of God. You remember that you are part of the body of Christ. 
And so David ends this psalm, God, redeem me from all my distresses. He's, he's done that. No, God, redeem Israel from all its distresses. See how this, even our own personal prayer life should unite us as it unites us and as we're united to Christ should unite us together. Hey, dear brother, dear sister, now I'm going to be very frank, but I'm trying to be very gentle right now, okay? I know that everybody in this room, I, we, we have problems. We can tend to think that we are the only person with problems. We can tend to think that even though we know everybody has problems, that my problems are the worst problems. We can tend to think that nobody can sympathize or actually empathize with me because my problems are, are way up here and everybody else's is down here. No, it's, it's you, you just no. How many people know about your personal, real big personal problem? Probably not many people. Well then think about other people. You probably don't know their really big struggles. You might know some of their struggles. And so as you think about your enemies, as you think about God, as you think about your sin, and then as you think about your enemies and your sin in light of God, hey, dear brother, dear sister, remember the body of Christ. Remember them. They're, they, they're pilgrims too. They're, you know, they're slogging through this world. They're plodding through this world. They're putting one foot in front of the other and every once in a while slipping and falling. You may not see it. You may not know it. But, you know, we do, we suffer in this life, and we are sorrowful, and yet Paul says rejoicing. We, we do actually do both, and maybe you only see the rejoicing. But no, we're sorrowful, but yet always rejoicing. Every single person, every brother and sister you've ever met, if they are living in reality, they are balancing the sorrowful and the rejoicing aspect of life. And so don't ever just be alone in your prayer life. When you think about your deepest and darkest struggles and your enemies and your deepest and darkest and treacherous sin, remember every single child of God, whether you know it, whether they will ever tell you, is dealing with enemies and is dealing with deep, dark, treacherous temptation and sin in their life. Trust me, every single one of them. And so then you get to intercede for them. You, you get to pray for, for your brother and sister in Christ. And then even praying for them, you realize you're, you're not as alone as maybe you thought you were. And then if you can then be around people who are realizing the same things that you are, then, man, we actually start really living in unity with one another. And so what do we do with all this? Well, we got to know. We got it first before we do anything. We've got to know and believe truth. And here's the truth. Jesus Christ is the answer to this prayer. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Psalm 25. Christ saves David and saves us from our enemies. And Christ saves David and saves us from our sins. And we have to believe it. We have to know it, even in, in, though our circumstances are going, hey, remember me over here? I'm coming for you. Remember, remember this, this storm over here? Remember this mess? Remember this mayhem? It's shouting that, that, that that's, this is not true. 
shouting to us that our sin has not been forgiven, shouting to us that our enemies are actually prevailing. Lord, help us to know what David clearly knows is that God saves, and he saves through Christ. Listen to Colossians 2.13. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. Ah, he, he's forgetting our sins, folks. He's erasing the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Wow, he saved us from our sins. What about our enemies? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. This is just, we just got to know. But we can't just know, we got to believe. Jesus says, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. We've got, we know it, we got to believe it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, God is coming back to undo every bad thing that has ever been done after we suffer for a little bit. It's just in the midst of suffering, we can forget. We, we can start to believe the truth of the suffering, the truth of the circumstances over the truth of God's very own word. And let David be a shining example to us. Guys, we know David, David did some dumb, crazy, despicable stuff. And yet, he's not trusting in his own righteousness. He's not trusting in his own strength. He's throwing himself at the feet of God and saying, Lord, you saved me. And so now what do we, now what do, we do? We know the truth. We know that and believe that this prayer is fulfilled in Christ. And so we come. When troubles arise and or our sin seeks to overcome and overwhelm us, we come to the throne of grace. We make our appeals to the Lord. We put our trust in the Lord. We wait on the Lord. We take refuge in the Lord. Coming to the throne of grace in our time of need is perhaps the main application point of every single psalm. When you, especially when you think of them in collective, like the whole psalms, 150 of them, the main point is Christ, all right? But the main point for us is obviously to come to Christ, but to continually come to Christ, to come boldly to the throne of grace. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We, we know, and then we, we go. We, we know what's true about our king, and then we come to our king. He has made us a desperately needy people, and he is pleased that he has made us a desperately needy people. And then he says, come to me with your desperate needs and I will give you mercy, and I will give you grace. So we, we know the truth, and then we come to the truth, and then we rest in the truth. Here we are again, Sunday. Ready? Ah, we rest. 
we're doggy paddling out in the, the, the ocean of life. And Sunday you come to church and then you just get reminded about what a complete idiot and fool you are. And here's three points to do better next week. Ugh. Thanks. Pass. No, we need rest. We come to church and we gather together and we are reminded of who we are. And it's not good. <clears throat> Getting better, hopefully, but it's not good. Not in light of who God is. We, our circumstances, that we got good ones and we got bad ones. I mean, life isn't all bad. Life certainly isn't all good. But when we're alone in the recesses of our hearts, sometimes we are just like David. We are alone and afflicted. And, and you know what? I, I just need to, can I get my head up out of the water for a second? And God says, absolutely. How? Gather together with the people of God and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to your heart. And today as we gather, we just get to remember that the most difficult thing about Scripture is not actually understanding it. It is believing it. But we get to do this thing together. We, we understand that this prayer for salvation from enemies and from sin has actually been answered. You can come up, Elijah. And it's been answered in and through and by Christ. And so we come to the throne of grace. We rejoice in our salvation. And we give glory to God for our salvation. And we rest in the Lord. We rest in the God of our, our salvation. If, if it's even just for a Sunday morning. We, we, we say, man, I got enemies and I got sin, but this psalm is telling me that my enemies have been triumphed in Christ and that my sin has been forgiven in Christ, that this psalm, this prayer has been answered by Christ for David and for me and for, for us. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Revelation 21.3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people's, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. This is, it is incredible that God is forgiving and forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. It is amazing that God is full of faithful love and truth. It is amazing that God's dwelling is with humanity. And as we know all this, we get to, in light of our enemies, in light of our trials, tribulations, pain, suffering, and circumstances, in light of our own sin, we get to go make our home with God. And we get to run to the throne of grace. We get to throw it all at his feet. We get to remember his faithful love and his mercy and his kindness. We get to remember Christ. We get to remember his great love. We get to remember that he has conquered sin, Satan, in the world. We get to remember that he has destroyed his enemies, he has destroyed our enemies, and he has destroyed sin, and he has forgiven our sin, and he's going to cast it to, as far as to the east and to the west, and then we just get to say, Lord, I believe that just today, just for a moment, Lord, help me to believe that. Help me to rest. Help me to praise you. Lord, I believe. Help me to believe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 25. Thank you for David. 
I love, Lord, how he does remember the people of God. Lord, help us today as we remember all these beautiful truths and that we remember what we get to do, that we would not do it alone, that we truly would understand that everything you're doing is for the building and the edification of your church. Lord, help us to not feel so alone as David, alone and afflicted, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be afflicted. In our, when, when we're thinking about our affliction, Lord, help us to do it with you and help us to do it with other brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.